What is up? What is up? We are back with our 51st episode here at Triad Talks. On this episode, we're going to be recapping some NBA playoffs, some NBA free agency, some recent Baker Mayfield news. We're going to get into the NBA Finals recap first, but we actually have a word from one of our sponsors. First up, we're going to be recapping the NBA Finals. The Warriors did win in six. Steph Curry getting the final P. Drew, tell us your thoughts on what went down in this NBA Finals. Yeah, so uh, obviously, Warriors one in six. That was my prediction coming into the final series. Um, it's actually nice to actually get a prediction right for once. Uh, so that was cool. But three players from the Celtics, I'm going to focus on their side. First, uh, three players from the Celtics I'd like to congratulate. These are the three players that I think deserve recognition for giving their all on the floor and playing hard night in and night out. Number one, that's going to be Robert Williams. This guy was the most consistent player on the floor every night. He was their defensive anchor. He was by far their best defensive player. Uh, He was an excellent shot blocker, and he continued that uh, from the regular season into the playoffs and in the finals as well. He even played injured, which was really commendable, and I I thought he he, he did an awesome job for the Celtics as good as they could have expected him to do. Uh, the second player I'm going to have to congratulate Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown, I think was the best offensive player on the Celtics, which is saying something because their offense was absolutely putrid. We'll get that to that in a second. Um, I think his shot making ability, especially in like the first quarters of games was usually pretty good. And then it would taper off towards the end. But I think that he was far and away their best offensive player. He might not have been the most efficient scorer in, on the field, but I think for the Celtics, um, who weren't able to get a lot of offense going. He was uh, a rare bright spot. And then number three, I got to go with my guy, Al Horford. Uh, Al Horford, you know, he, he it was his first finals appearance in his very long career, and he played to win. He gave his heart out there. His sister was saying, you don't want to make Al Horford mad. I was laughing at it, but then I saw Al Horford mad. I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a scary guy out there. Um, but, yeah, his three-point shooting ability was actually pretty pretty solid, especially for a big – Uh, He made the shots that they needed him to. And uh, a lot of games, the Warriors would go into like a huge run and Al Horford would kind of cut down the lead just a little bit. The Celtics wouldn't win the game, but Al Horford was able to make those clutch shots um, when it mattered, especially from three. Um, And then now moving on to the rest of the Celtics, I mean, the elephant in the room, Jason Tatum, record-breaking in all the wrong ways. He's the first player in NBA Finals history with 100 turnovers. He he just got to stop pretending he's Kobe Bryant and take smarter shots. The Celtics often, like I said, was super inconsistent the entire time. So even when their defense was able to clamp up the Warriors, they weren't really able to take advantage and build much of a lead. Um, I thought that the on the Warriors side of things, that the Warriors played super smart and they shut down the Celtics on offense. And they also were able to dismantle the number one ranked defense in the league. Uh, Curry won a well-deserved finals MVP. I had the Warriors as the better team coming into the series. Um, and I th- do kind of think that the narrative of Steph being a front runner was kind of reinforced a little bit by the series as he did most of his work when they were up in the score. Um, but he undoubtedly was the best warrior in the series. And uh, the Warriors as a team were just a really well-oiled machine. I mean, coming off the pretty, pretty horrible, two pretty horrible years um, before and coming back and winning a finals like this, um, it's, just, it, it's just really commendable to the organization and the kind of winning culture they've been able to build over the years. Yeah, so uh, you made a lot of valid points. Uh, I, I mostly agree with you. I'm going to start off with saying I don't know how ESPN gave the Celtics an 86% chance to win the finals. <laughs> I think if you asked, like, nine nine out of ten people knew the Warriors were going to win before sure. it started. ESPN's always using flawed formulas, nothing new for them. I think the Warriors were the heavy favorite. 
they're just clearly the better team. They had more experience. And honestly, the Celtics taking it to six impressed me because I originally predicted Warriors in five. Uh, and I thought the Warriors would win the first three games, then Boston would sneak one in game four. But game one, they came out, they hit three after three in that fourth quarter. I was actually watching it uh, with Dylan. And uh, it was a great night as a Warrior hater, um, especially when you're watching <laughs> with Warrior fans. But you knew it would not be sustainable. Al Horford was popping off that game. Um, but And actually, Horford was one of the better players from Celtics this series, but you just knew the experience of the Warriors. They weren't going to let a game one affect them, and they handled business. Uh, I genuinely never thought I'd see a scenario where Steph Curry was the best player in a final series, but he he finally proved me wrong. Uh, for all you bandwagons who just started watching this past couple of years, this was his first good fun, first definitely good finals uh, performance. Some people think he's played well before, but this one he he's finally the best player on the court. Even when uh, 2015, you could say he was uh, the best player on his team. LeBron was still the best player on the court. This one, he was undoubtedly the best player. Um, and a lot of people are saying he didn't really need this finals MVP uh, and it didn't really matter. But to me, it matters a lot. I think he he absolutely needed it or else he would have always been known as like an underperformer in the finals, no matter how well he did to get his team there. He's always been a great player. But when it was time for the big games, he would never step up. He finally did that. Even though mm-hmm. Drew's right, he did kind of do it with the lead. But uh, obviously, you can't blame him. And the Warriors are a really good team. They're going to have the lead. And it's not his fault that he's just piling on. Uh, the Celtics, they still have a very bright future. And uh, there's definitely a poss- possibility they'll be back here in the next couple of years. But you could just tell they were inexperienced. And it wasn't going to allow them to get by a team with the most experience in the league by far. So congratulations to all you Warrior fans. Um, I'm not sure how you don't get bored from your team just winning all the time. But congrats nonetheless. Yeah, so my take on this finals is the Warriors are simply the better basketball team. The better basketball team, for the most part, always ends up winning in a seven-game series. Curry finally dominated a finals in the sense that he was the best player on the court. But my main thing was the Celtics and their shot-making ability. Tatum's inexperience really started catching up to him this series. You know, we saw him in that Milwaukee series go toe-to-toe with Giannis. He He went toe-to-toe with Jimmy Butler against the Heat. But when it came time to go against the Warriors, against Curry, against the best point guard in the league, it was just a little little too difficult for him. And they were kind of unable to find a consistent source of offense. And a lot of people have, in the media have been blaming, um, you know, Marcus Smart saying he's not a true point guard, that they need a true point guard. But I think it was just more of an issue with the kind of spacing that the Celtics provided Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. You know, these are the kind of guys where they want to isolate in the mid-range and then they're going to let them go one-on-one. But they have all these big men out there at the same time. They got Rob Williams out there. They got Al Horford, Grant Williams. Normally, you're seeing at least two out of three of these players on the court at the same time. And while Al Horford and Grant Williams have been able to hit threes every now and then, it's too easy for the Warriors to overload a side on defense, start sending double teams to them, and they're going to take a catch-and-shoot three from one of these guys compared to a one-on-one shot with, with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown each and every single day of the week. I saw Curry get pretty much whatever he wanted against this defense, despite Marcus Smart being the defensive player of the year. Um, You know, we saw the Celtics defense clamp up on some other superstars, which we're going to be mentioning later on in this podcast. And Curry, you know, despite his great performances, he continued to struggle in the fourth quarter of the series. He was actually two for 10 from three when you combined all the fourth quarters in this playoff series. 
So he still has a little bit of that, you know, fourth quarter. He hasn't really been that guy, but he didn't need to be that guy. And that was because of how he played for the first three. So I just want to congratulate the Warriors. They definitely deserve to win the series. And I, I do think um, they could stay in contention for the next couple of years. But I think that if they do end up facing the Celtics again, it's going to be a completely different ball game the next time around. Yeah, I'm kind of connected to Steph Curry and the legacy that he has built after finally winning that well-deserved finals MVP. Uh, a lot of kind of called into question where he stands in the all-time rankings, especially when comparing him to another superstar who's part of the Warriors dynasty, Kevin Durant. Um, and how their different uh, finals careers kind of compare and contrast with each other. So I'll kind of go to Jad here first. What do you think uh, KD's legacy is looking like in comparison to Steph's right now? Okay, so I think before this year, for me at least, I think Durant was easily better than Steph all time. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't think it was a debate. I think there was like four or five players in between them. They were still mm -hmm. kind of on the same tier. But now, I'm not going to lie, I – I could see why you would have Steph over him. Uh, but you can't act like it's not close because it's definitely very close. I think they're interchangeable. But I think this finals alone might have just bumped Curry over KD, even for me. Um, and it has nothing to do with what KD did. It has nothing to do with him being swept. I just think Steph, Steph has the better argument right now. Um, before this, uh, I genuinely think Curry would only have one ring if KD never joined the Warriors. And that one ring was when Kyrie and Kevin Love were out. But now he's proven he could be the best player on a team that wins a championship. And Durant, he's, he's just diminishing all of his previous accomplishments with what he's doing. He keeps leaving team after team, running away from the grind. Um, and, of course, the thing with him is that he needed the Warriors to win, and that's true. He's tried to prove him wrong by joining the Nets, joining forces with Kyrie. They're two years into it, and he's already wanting out. Um, he's already played with Russell Westbrook. He wanted out. It's just, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not doing it for me. And I'm a big Kevin Durant fan. You don't understand. Like he went to Texas. He he's has, my boy. He but um, I think, I think Curry has surpassed him. I don't know about Steph Curry being top 10. And I definitely don't think he's the best point guard of all time, even after this series. Um, but for now, for him winning finals MVP, for him winning another championship without Durant, I think you got to say he's better all time. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to agree with Jad. Um, I would say going into this NBA season, I would still have KD over Curry. In fact, I was just looked up our top 20 rankings that we published two years ago. I had KD four spots ahead of Curry. Obviously, you know, my rankings have changed a little bit as I've gained more basketball knowledge. But I, I think Curry has finally passed KD in the all-time rankings. And there's a few reasons why. So first of all, there's this is a simple line, you know, Curry won before KD with KD and then he won again without KD. KD has only won with Curry. But my main thing, something that I value. So if we look at all these top all time players, everybody puts the ball in the basket. Aside for Drew ranking Bill Russell, I didn't have him in my top 20 he averages 14 points a game. But that's a different story. Everyone puts <laughs> the ball in the basket. And so how do they separate themselves? Curry separates himself because he makes everyone around him better. And KD on multiple different teams with multiple different superstars, he's failed to show me that he's been able to elevate people around him the way Curry has. Curry has turned someone like Draymond Green into an all-star player. Saw this clip on Instagram of Emmanuel Ako. Basically went on a speech about, about how everybody has gotten better with Curry. Some examples include Draymond Green becoming an all-star. Harrison Barnes got a $100 million contract. 
Steve Kerr has the third highest win percentage of any coach slash player in NBA history, thanks to Steph Curry. Iguodala was, you know, someone who was on the downside of his career. It was able to win a finals MVP. Wiggins had his whole career turned around. And you look at Kevin Durant, Kyrie was more successful without Kevin Durant. Harden and Westbrook had league MVPs without Kevin Durant. So if you're just looking at what someone is bringing to a team, what someone is bringing to the franchise, how they're able to help them win, make other players better. This, this ring that the Warriors have won proves just proves to me so much more that Curry is that guy compared to KD in my all-time rankings. Yeah, I think all three of us are kind of in agreement here. I think at this point, it's really just, it's undebatable to say that Stephen Curry's legacy is better than Kevin Durant's legacy at this point. I think in the greatest of all time debate, Curry should undoubtedly get the nod over Kevin Durant. Um, I think that Kevin Durant is still the better player. I'd rank him over Curry um, slightly as a better basketball player, but I think the Curry is just obviously far and away a better teammate, a better leader, and brings more to like an organization than a Kevin Durant would just through his leadership and what he's able to do in improving his teammates over just himself. Um, mm-hmm. I think that while Steph, I, I would definitely put Steph over KD, but as far as all time, uh, a lot of people put Steph Curry in the top 10 or even top five. I've seen some people put him uh, all time. I just, I just don't agree. Like I, he's a fantastic player and he's undoubtedly yeah, the not, best he's not top of all time. He's definitely not top 10 on my list. Um, but he, at this point in all time, he's definitely better than KD and KD's kind of going outside for, uh, what's been going on recently. Yeah. I mean, I, I second guessed this, I actually first guessed this when we published our top 10 player rankings. I think I was the only one that had Curry over KD before the playoffs, um, started. So, you know, I just, just wanted to throw that one out there, a little bit. <laughs> but we're going to be moving on to our next segment, bit of the NBA draft. You know, we've seen some of these guys in summer league already, but NBA season hasn't started yet. So we still got time to make our claims. Who do you guys believe is going to be the best player from this NBA draft class? Uh, I'll go first here. Uh, for me, it's Jabari Smith. I think he should have gone number one. Uh, I, it was seeming to become that way, but for some reason, the Magic trusted uh, Paolo Bancaro a little more. Uh, I was a big Jabari guy watching the NCAA this year. I even picked Auburn to go all the way in my March Madness bracket, and I'm pretty sure they didn't even make the Sweet 16, so that was a little sad. I still finished, like, second or third in my bracket rankings, though, because I'm just that guy. (laughs) But um, Jabari Smith, I just think he fits in the NBA really well. He can shoot the three ball well, which is what you need. Uh, He has the right size. He's just an all-around good player, and, I mean, out of all the guys in this class, I just simply see him becoming the best one. Who do you got? Um, I kind of took a gamble with mine, a very boomer bust player. Mm. Um, yeah, but I, I'm going to go with, I think, who will be the best player in this draft when we look back at it all. I'm going to say Chet Holmgren. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think he's kind of the hype beast pick right now. Um, and he's done a lot of talking for sure. But I just think with his height at 7'3 and just an insane skill set for his size, I feel like there's just so much upside um, for, for, for him as a player. Um, I think, I mean, the biggest criticism against him is he just doesn't have the strength uh, to be a center at the NBA level, which I do agree with. Um, But with an NBA diet plan and a weight regimen and stuff like that, I feel like that's just a problem that can easily be resolved. I mean, we've seen it before with players like Giannis Antetokounmpo, for example. Um, I just think that players like this, where they're big, but they can also uh, handle the ball really well, they can shoot really well, are kind of the future of the NBA. So I think Chet kind of fits perfectly. in that kind of forward trend in the NBA. And I think with the Thunder's young core, I think he'll be a standout um, 
standout from this draft class and definitely a star for, uh, I think, years to come. Yeah, so Chet, you know, definitely has that upside, but I'm going to agree with Jad. I think it's Jabari Smith as well. I've said for months, I thought he should have been the number one pick as well. This guy's just so long at the forward position. He can score at all three levels. And if you looked at Auburn's season in the NCAA, um, they really started turning their season around, becoming like a top five team once they decided to run the offense through Jabari Smith. Obviously, they were kind of trying to run through their senior guards a little bit earlier on in the season. But, you know, Bruce Pearl saw what everyone started to see with Jabari Smith. and They made that switch. I just like his ability as a shot maker and a creator a bit more than Paulo and Chet. I think Paulo is a very, very good player, but I think he's just a little bit more dependent on the guards on his team to kind of put him into the right spots. And Chet is obviously, you know, that center position. That's a dependent position. You know, Jabari is a small forward, power forward, but he can take people off the dribble. And I think he's just a, he's just a much better shoot. He's not a much better shooter, but I like his shot a, a bit better. He's a high, volume shooter but he's also a high volume scorer and I think he could be a good defender with his length when he locks in on the defensive side and in terms of someone who could just become a superstar average 25 plus a game at one point in their career I think that's easily Jabari Smith if you're looking at all the top picks in this draft and furthermore I think he's just the best guy that can kind of turn a franchise around I think he's him Paulo and maybe Jade and Ivy are the only people that could possibly be a number one option on a team. I don't think um, Chet Holgram kind of has that player, the, the skill set to kind of be the number one option on a championship team. I know his position at the center kind of limits him for a little bit of that. But that's just something you got to take into account for when you're drafting amongst all these potential superstars. So if I had the first pick, I also would have gone Jabari Smith. Uh, I was uh, actually considering Jaden Ivy as one of the best players as well. You know, he knocked out Texas. I saw his potential that game. <laughs> but uh, uh, moving on, let's talk about the bust of the draft. Who do you guys think is going to bust? Yeah, so for my bust of the draft pick, I went with uh, Kentucky guard Ty Ty Washington. Um, he was projected as a top 10 to 15 draft pick. Um, before the draft, then he had an ankle injury, which kind of plummeted his stock a little bit. He was picked overall <laughs> number 29, uh, but then he got traded to the Rockets. Uh, for me, it's kind of a combination of his lack of uh, a really solid skill set and just the situation that he finds himself in. Uh, it's kind of a waste of, the, of a pick for me because the ro- or mm. waste of a trade for me since the Rockets already have a really strong guard core with Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. Um, as a kind of traditional point guard, I don't really know how Washington's going to really be able to add much to them. If anything, he'll be like a solid contributor off the bench. Um, but for a first round draft pick, I and especially someone you're trading for, I don't really see him being successful at the next level. Uh, he's my bust of the draft, but I hope you can prove me wrong. All right, John, uh, who you got? So, in my opinion, to, uh, for me, it's another guard, or he could play small forward too, Ochai Obaji from Kansas. Oh, my. Uh, I thought he was going to be a late first-rounder, you know, maybe get drafted by an already solidified playoff team. That would have definitely helped him, in my opinion, but he went 14th overall. I think that's way too high for a guy who is extremely inconsistent this year in the college level. I don't think his game's going to translate well into the NBA at all. I think if he wants to succeed, he's either got to really develop a dribble package or he's just got to turn into a three and D player. I kind of see the potential, but uh, in my opinion, his peak is going to be an average role player. I don't see him anything more than maybe a solid role player on like a playoff team. But I just don't think he's ever going to be that guy. And I think the Cavaliers 
uh, reached heavily on this pick, and I don't think they got much. They're not going to get much better from this this year or in the future. Yeah, I think with Obaji, the Kansas winning the championship, which I did predict in the bracket, really kind of helped his draft stock. You know, we've seen that happen with the guards on the championship team before. If you remember back in the day when Texas Tech won that national championship, Jarrett Culver went from a mid-first round pick, and he ended up being like the sixth overall pick. And he has not um, kind of been a sixth overall pick type of player in his NBA career. But my bust of the draft is going to be the ninth overall pick, Jeremy Sothan. Mm -hmm by the San Antonio Spurs. This guy's a forward from Baylor, and he just doesn't have the shot making, the shot creating. He's a defensive player. He's kind of like a plug-in guy to an already established system type of player, in my opinion. But the Spurs did draft him. You know, the Spurs have a very good draft record. So there's no doubt, I think, that they're going to be able to get the best out of whatever this guy can offer. But they had much, much better players available on the board, in my opinion. Players like Johnny Davis, Jalen Duran and A.J. Griffin were all available. I think people who could, the Spurs could have taken with their rebuild and easily plugged in over Jeremy Sohan. So especially with the moves that they were making, I thought they would kind of go into that rebuild, rebuild, where they would want like a star player maybe to try and build around. But Sohan is just not going to be able to provide that. I think it's pretty clear based off the tape that this guy puts out. He's just a role player, defensive player. He can hit the three ball a little bit, but it's streaky at best. So for the ninth overall pick, especially with the guys that they could have taken, I think the Spurs are going to end up regretting this draft pick. Yeah, so kind of back on the subject of uh, people really not being that guy, we're back on Kevin Durant again. Obviously, there's been a lot of drama um, with him requesting a trade from the Nets after Kyrie Irving signed his extension. So I just wanted to kind of get you guys' thoughts on this um, after you kind of shared about what we thought of his legacy. So uh, I kind of touched on this when we were comparing him and Curry. Uh, he's an unbelievable player on the court, but his business decisions off the court are just awful. He just does not know what he wants. Uh, he made the most league-shifting move of all time, going to a team that he couldn't beat, uh, and he, that turned him into a villain. And I thought he'd be okay with being a villain, but then he let the criticism get to him after winning two rings. So he leaves the Warriors, <clears throat> joins the Nets, and he convinces Kyrie to come with him. Uh, I actually supported this move. I thought you need to win on your own. Um, you're always going to be known as that guy who needed Steph Curry. You should try and prove that you can win. But as soon as the going gets tough and they had sort of a down year getting swept in the first round, he says he wants out again. It means Kyrie wants out and they're just leaving the nets in shambles. He just continues to run from the grind. Whenever something gets slightly hard, he just tries to find a way out and he's hurting his legacy more and more each move he makes, even though he's trying to do the exact opposite. He just mm -hmm. keeps going back on his word. Uh, and he doesn't realize, like, in order for teams to trade for him, they're going to probably have to trade their best player and then some. And so for him to go to the Suns is pretty unrealistic. Uh, for I could kind of see a trade with the Heat, but they'd have to give up so much, especially with the recent trades. The return for people like DeJounte Murray and Rudy Gobert have been a lot. And obviously you need to give up more for Kevin Durant. So, like, I don't blame him if he's unhappy about Ky the Kyrie situation that happened this year, but he sprung it onto himself. He knew the type of person Kyrie was. Mm -hmm. like, I'm not saying he's a terrible person, but I just mean he knew he wasn't completely dedicated to basketball and he still made that decision to play with him. So um, he just needs to become more of a man, own up to it. And he still has four years left on his deal. Um, so... Honestly, the best situation for him might just be to stay with the Nets because the return that he's gonna that the Nets are gonna get from a 
from the team that trades for him might just make the team that he goes to worse than in that situation he has right now. Yeah, I mean, Jad, I'm sure everyone's going to say the same thing here, but he's losing his credibility. You know, everyone was ha- kind of happy he wanted to go to Brooklyn to try to get away from that not a bus driver narrative, but now he's just doing it more, you know, didn't really get any of the success despite, you know, designing the team, picking the head coach, pairing the superstars all together. And then, you know, he wants to go to the two number one seeds on each of the team. You know, people are already pointing that out. And the Nets are demanding just an absolute massive package. And honestly, I hope they don't come down from this offer and they make Kevin Durant stay in Brooklyn because dipping with four years left on the contract, if you try to do that in the business world, you're going to get fired. It's going to be very difficult for you to get another job. But Kevin Durant has that luxury, I guess. And I just want to point stuff out here. I mean, he left the Thunder because he doesn't want to play with Westbrook. He thought he couldn't win with Westbrook. But, I mean, he did win with Golden State, but we all know, you know, what Golden State had to offer. He's kind of starting to prove, you know, he needs to he needs to find a way to win without just joining up with somebody. He, he needs to build something from the ground up. And going to the Suns or going to the Heat is not going to get that done for him. I know he's very in touch with social media. I'm sure he hears everything people saying about him. So I'm not really sure what his thought process is on kind of requesting a trade specifically to those two teams. And he had he did have a team with three superstars on it, KD, Kyrie. If you want to call James Harden a star-level player, not a superstar, that's fine with me. There's multiple very good role players, and they ended up getting swept in the first round by the Boston Celtics team. And KD went out in a very, very bad fashion. He did not have any efficient scoring games in that series whatsoever. He didn't play make for anybody. And then we saw other superstars get what they want against that Boston defense. Like I mentioned earlier, you saw Steph Curry get 30-point games. You saw Giannis get 30-point games. You saw Jimmy Butler get 30-point games. But for some reason, KD wasn't able to do it. For whatever that reason, you know, it is what it is. But now he wants to head out from Brooklyn. And honestly, you know, I wish I was surprised, but I'm not. Yeah, I mean, every fear that everyone had about the uh, Nets forming a super team kind of came true, which is actually kind of nice to see. I feel like this is kind of just – it was nice to have a finals where neither team was really a – if you want to call the Warriors a super team, I get it, but I don't really think that would be an accurate name for them. Um, but I, I think this is kind of nice to see the death of the modern-day super team. Um, but more in regards to Kevin Durant's legacy, I mean, like we said before, the guy's legacy is in shambles. Um, he, he wants to be the ma- man on his team so bad, which is kind of like – preventing him from dropping his ego and, and like really, like Jad said, stop running from the grind. I think his biggest flaw in the, just as a player and in the GOAT discussion is that his two rings came as a result of joining the best team in the NBA at the time. And then he's just been flailing ever since to prove to everyone that he can be that guy and prove to himself that he can be that guy. And so far he's yielded no results. Uh, I mean, he's an amazing player and one of the most gifted scorers, if not the most gifted scorer of all time, but he's a horrible leader. He has no sense of loyalty. Um, I mean, yeah, the Nets this year were just the definition of a train wreck. They Nash sucked as a head coach. I think he should definitely be fired, but they're keeping him for God knows why. Um, and, and I mean, for for Kevin Durant, like you guys said, I the return for him now is just so huge. I don't really know a suitable landing spot for him. And I mean, players nowadays just have so much power in the NBA. KD being a superstar has a lot of power. So he can just say, yeah, I'm going to get out of my contract. Like Dylan said, if that happened in the real world, KD's uh, getting unemployment checks the next weekend. So, I, I mean, for me, 
Kevin Durant requesting a trade is some, a move that's not out of character for him. Um, but obviously it just taints his legacy even further. Yeah, so next up, we're going to be talking about another one of the big trades that went down this offseason. DeJounte Murray is going to be headed to the Atlanta Hawks in exchange for three first-round picks and Danilo Gallinari. Dad, what were your thoughts on this trade? So I think this trade made a lot of sense, but I think it made uh, more sense for the Spurs, to be honest. Uh, he wasn't really going anywhere with them, and to get three first-rounders for him was a really good return. The Hawks, for the Hawks, I feel like it's a solid move. But does it get them over any sort of hump? I don't think so. Uh, no, It will make them better, no doubt. But it kind of feels like it's not going to elevate them to where they want to be, even in the future. Uh, and they just gave up three first-rounders. So you're kind of asking for a lot. You're not going to be able to draft much these next few years if Trey Young's prime. I think the risk-reward ra- ratio is a little off. It's a little on the riskier side for the Hawks. But if Murray continues to develop and he becomes really good, then obviously it'll become a great move. Uh, I think they got a solid team as long as Trey Young gains some, gains some consistency. They do, they do have a bright future, but it's going to take a lot more moves uh, these next few years if they want to compete for a title. Yeah, yeah so I, I'll go ahead here. So I thought this trade was uh, really good for both sides, to be honest. I mean, three first-rounders is a lot of picks. You know, just <clears> ask <throat> the Lakers fans how that feels. But I think DeJounte Murray can honestly become a superstar or at least a very good star player. I mean, this season, he, I believe, became an all-star after injury replacements. And this guy has improved year after year. If you look at his stats, he averaged (laughs) 21, 8, and 8 this year, but it was on a pretty subpar San Antonio Spurs team. So we'll see kind of what his stat line is looking like on a very solid playoff team like the Atlanta Hawks. But I think three to five years from now, this could be a really, really dangerous backcourt, especially with all the wing depth that the Atlanta Hawks do have. I mean, we know they kind of traded – they traded Kevin Horter. Uh, they traded away Cam Reddish earlier last season. But they still got a lot of nice guys. They got Bogdanovich, DeAndre Hunter, and these other players. Clint Capella is a very, very solid center. And I think Murray kind of makes up in a lot of areas that Trey Young lacks. Murray is a very, very good defensive player, and he's going to ease – and having both of these players on the same team will ease the playmaking burden of both of them. And I think if the Hawks really wanted to kind of take up to the next level, they're not going to be able to quite do that this season. But if they can maybe get another nice um, center to pair with, John Collins continues to develop. I think this team could, three to five years from now, easily solidify themselves as a top four, top five seed in the Eastern Conference each and every single season. Yeah, so uh, I actually do kind of like this trade for both teams. I do think while the Spurs are losing a – a star in the making in DeJounte Murray. Uh, I think getting, like Jed said, getting three first-round picks for him is pretty insane. Um, I think that uh, Murray, I really like him as a player. He was my sleeper pick for most improved player last year, and I think that him and Trey will be a really good duo. Um, and I'm really glad that the uh, the Hawks weren't really losing too much of their young core, and they got to keep guys like John Collins um, as they continue to kind of build their build their team up. Um, like Dylan said, they're de- this is definitely not the end of the road for them. They need to make uh, moves if they want to be a contender in a few years. Um, I think short term, this is a deal that will definitely see immediate results for Atlanta. I think that while they've been able to kind of uh, sneak into the playoffs these last couple of years, I feel like this they may, may be able to make it out of the first round this time. Um, and I do think that this team has a lot of potential, has a lot of upside. They just need to kind of develop their players in the right way. Um, and honestly, I think the future is pretty bright for this team. And I do like this move for both sides. 
Yeah, I also want to pay some respect to the Spurs because, you know, for whatever reason, they did decide to pull the plug. And in an interview, DeJounte Murray did say that the Spurs basically told him that they wanted to trade him because they didn't want to waste his career in San Antonio while they were going to try to rebuild. It wasn't because, you know, they didn't like Murray. They wanted to get rid of him just because they wanted what's best for his career. You know, I think we should start seeing a lot more of that honesty among the executives in the NBA. So I like that's what I like to see. All right, another trade uh, that we might have some comments about. Rudy Gobert from the Utah Jazz going to the Minnesota Timberwolves for four first-round picks. Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Leandro Bulmaro, and uh, the number, two 20, number 22 pick in the 2022 NBA draft, uh, and Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, what are you guys' kind of thoughts on this <laughs> trade, since I know we're not too, too big fans of Rudy Gobert? I'll start off uh, with the obvious answer here. The Jazz fleeced, in my humble opinion. Uh, Gobert maybe makes the Timberwolves second-round exits instead of first-round exits. Um, I just I don't see it really working out there. With You have a solid young pieces in Cat and Anthony Edwards, but adding Rudy Gobert, you have, like, the two tallest guys in the league now. It's <clears throat> it's not really – it's not really going to put them to the next level, kind of like the uh, – the Hawks trade right there. But, I mean, not only did they get, like, four first-rounders, they got Patrick Beverly, Jared Vanderbilt, who I really like. He's actually a very good rebounder. Malik Beasley. You know, you already said the return, but just all those players, all those picks. Uh, and the Jazz, uh, most importantly, got rid of Gobert, who was, like, their biggest cancer, the biggest problem. No one liked that guy. It's not really that he is a bad person. It's just no one liked him. Donovan Mitchell's relationship with him was broken ever since the COVID incident where he acted like it was a joke and then the world shut down for five months, like a day after. Um, obviously, he's still a very good player, uh, you know, with his rebounding, rim protecting, occasional scoring. But to give up that much for him is insane. And I just think it was a terrible move by the Wolves, to simply put it. Yeah, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly with you. I, uh, You guys have heard us slander Rudy Gobert on the podcast many times, so I'm just going to add to it here. Uh, Rudy Gobert is absolutely not worth four, four first-round picks and a bunch of solid players like that. Uh, he's a really good defender, more more than I give him credit for, um, and he's a good rebounder, but offensively he's sort of limited. It's kind of – I can see how he fits on their roster since Cat is not really a true center. Um, he's more – and uh, kind of moving him to power forward because I'm assuming they want to play them both at the same time. Uh, moving Cat to power forward would just kind of make more sense, in my opinion, so he can – shoot more since he he's been one of the best three-point shooting bigs in the league um i i mean i just don't really understand this this trade for the timberwolves they have like a solid young core they have good pieces and um in regards to like what i think they needed to improve on i definitely wouldn't have put center or or big men as their their number one problem i thought they had good depth at uh the four and five positions and obviously they have cat who's a superstar um, so trading for Rudy Gobert, I just don't know really how he's helping them fix their weaknesses. Obviously, they're going to be a much better rebounding team now. Um, but really, I, it, this doesn't really help them out as much as I think they think it's going to help them. Um, and for the Jazz to get all of that for Rudy Gobert, you've got to be just like ecstatic. I mean, the Jazz are still going to be kind of kind of sorry next year. But I mean, for all the five Jazz fans out there, I, I'm sorry about that. I mean, when I saw this, this this is a Kevin Durant caliber package, in my opinion. I mean, I think this is what the Nets would be able to get, like, with for Kevin Durant. But now that they saw 
15 points, 15 rebounds to get this type of package. And now they think that they could get someone's entire roster. So my thoughts on this trade, I honestly, some people have a concern about the fit, you know, with Kat and Gobert. But we saw the bubble championship team Lakers run AD and Dwight Howard slash JaVale McGee at the same time with some success. But I'm not sure Cat kind of has the fluidity or lateral quickness as AD to kind of get that perimeter isolation scoring as well. So he's going to ha- definitely have to work on that part of the game. But I just hope this kind of doesn't take away Cat's kind of heart a little bit because he's not going to be defending the basket. He's not going to be spending as much time in the paint. And that the last thing the the war or the excuse me not the warriors the Timberwolves want Cat to become is just a spot up stretch four, so this could go either pretty bad for Cat or it could be pretty well kind of take his game to the next level something he feels more comfortable with. Now I think Gobert adding alone if you keep everything else the same is not going to contribute to them getting more playoff success, but if you continue to see Cat develop, D'Angelo Russell develop, and most importantly Anthony Edwards develop on top of Rudy Gobert say he stays consistent at 15 and 15 with defensive player of the year caliber play. I think that they could win a playoff series, maybe two playoff series. I don't think that they're going to be big enough in the next or good enough in the next few years to kind of contend with a powerhouse like golden state or the Suns If they keep their roster together, I don't think they're going to be good enough for that, but I think this is a move that could set them up for success at a very short time frame if you can kind of combine Edwards becoming a superstar player before these older players like Gobert kind of start showing some signs of declining. So it's going to be very interesting to see. I know pretty much year in and year out, lots of people have the Timberwolves as kind of like a sleeper team, but they really haven't shown that kind of promise. And I think this year it could be very interesting for them. I do think that they will definitely make the plan, but I think that they can secure a one through eight seed for sure. All right, so uh, moving on to another big NBA move. This one was actually a free agency signing. I've been talking about trades a lot. Uh, Jalen Brunson to the Knicks. Um, so what do you guys think about this free agency signing? Was it a good move for the Knicks? Is Jalen Brunson that guy? What do you guys think? I, I'm just fully convinced at this point the NBA needs to investigate the Knicks for just flat out intentionally selling. Like, I, I just don't understand how an organization can make these many bad moves in a span of, what is it, like 10 years? I mean, I really do like Jalen Brunson. I, I think he's he had a fantastic year last year, and I think he could have been a solid piece uh, on the Mavs if he stayed with them. Uh, but four years and $104 million is just way too much for someone who's only had one true breakout season. Uh, he's a solid player, but really the, the Knicks are a pretty awful landing position for any player. So are they really going to improve much with him? I, I, I doubt it. Um, but that's more of a function of the Knicks being a horrible organization more than Jalen Brunson not being a great player. Yeah, so for me, I kind of hate on this move a little bit less than most people have been. So the bottom line is point guards are pretty much the most important position on the court unless you're getting one of these star forwards like a LeBron, like a Kevin Durant. So point guards naturally are expensive. If you look at the salaries, this move actually only makes him the 15th highest paid point guard in the league which is a middle-of-the-pack level point guard. And I think he can definitely, absolutely fulfill that role. Now, the thing is, they're not paying it based off of what he is right now. They're kind of paying it more based off what they think that he will become. But, you know, I think Jalen Brunson is a very good player. I can easily see him averaging 17 to 22 points per game for the next few years on his contract with a solid amount of assists. If you watch this guy, he was able to, you know, drop 25-plus on the Jazz a few times when Doncic was out. 
He's an incredibly crafty player with his size. And I followed some advanced analytic articles. He actually had the highest floater percentage of any player in the NBA last year. Highest floater percentage. You know, he's going to be able to use that alone. Obviously, this guy, Jalen Brunson alone, is not going to take the Knicks to the next level. But if the Knicks are going to go to the next level, I think Jalen Brunson was someone that they just needed to add to the roster. So uh, I'm kind of leaning towards Drew's opinion here. I think this was a classic Knicks signing. Get some guy who had a good year, throw a bunch of money at him. So you're his highest offer. He can't re-sign with his original team. Uh, Brunson is a solid player, but I don't think this does anything for the Knicks as of right now. Uh, and I don't see this taking them uh, anywhere or sorry, any further than a borderline playing team. But we'll see the moves they make in the future to try and put a team together because um, Brunson's only going to thrive if there's a couple guys on the team that are star caliber players. Julius Randle is not that guy. Um, but, you know, congrats to, congrats to Brunson for getting the bag. He kind of came into this year as like a young guy off the bench, but he really solidified himself as a very mm. solid point guard, um, kind of in that top 15 range. So, yeah. Congratulations to Brunson, but for the Knicks, this isn't really going to help you. All right, next up, we're going to be talking about me and Jad's favorite team, the Los Angeles Lakers, who have made three to four solid, or I think solid signings, but we'll see what the rest of you guys think. Los Angeles Lakers free agency signings. Drew, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I like some of the pickups that they've made. Uh, in particular, I think two that really stood out to me were Lonnie Walker, who I thought was a fantastic pickup. Um, it's kind of sad that the Spurs were losing both him and DeJounte Murray. Um, but I do think he's a solid, solid player that um, really adds up to the team that they absolutely need it. And I think Tomas Ryan is a really good big. Uh, he, he will kind of help with the rebounding edge that the Lakers kind of lack this season. Um, and overall, I mean, it's not like these, they're paying these guys an egregious amount of money either. They're actually very fair contracts, in my opinion. Um, so I do like the moves that the Lakers have been making recently. Uh, I think the way Dylan described them, solid. Uh, that's the exact word I use. I think they added a few solid pieces to the roster, just that LeBron finally going the opposite of what he usually does. Uh, if you don't remember last year, he made our team the oldest team in the league, signing Carmelo Anthony and all them. Now he's aiming for the youngins, Lonnie Walker, uh, Damian <laughs> Jones, uh, Thomas Bryant. They're all young players that could develop into solid role players for this team. Um, drafting Max Christie. I think that's kind of a meh move. Uh, I don't see him helping out too much right now. Uh, and obviously that's what LeBron's aiming for because he's not going to be here in a few years. Uh, but who knows, maybe he could become a knockdown shooter immediately. I don't know if it's there. But he could definitely develop nicely in the future if we don't end up trading him away like we do most of these young guys so LeBron can get another superstar. But um, I don't know if these additions made us extremely better. I think we definitely improved, but that's what every team who's trying to contend is doing. So I'm not sure if this puts us to the next step or maybe they think we can win with the team we have now. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see where this takes us from here. Yeah, so for me, there's kind of two different ways to look at this. Either the Nets are on the phone right now saying these are the guys that we need for Kyrie Irving or LeBron is in the phone with Rob Palenka saying these are the guys I think me and AD could win with next year. Yeah, only time will tell which one is the true case. But we we – as soon as um, Lonnie Walker became available, I actually sent the Instagram post to Jad. I said, I think this would be a great guy we could we could sign. And we lost Malik Monk to the Kings, which was just absolutely unexpected for me. I didn't really get the idea from him that he didn't want to be on the Lakers anymore. But, you know, oh well, because he was actually one of our more promising young players on the roster. But we fulfilled 
kind of his role with Lonnie Walker, I think. I think Lonnie Walker's not as good of a shooter, but I think other areas he is a bit better than Malik Monk, so we'll kind of see where that goes. Thomas Bryant is a solid player who I think maybe hopefully could fulfill that Dwight Howard JaVale McGee role we had on our championship team that I was talking about last year. And for those of you who are like, wasn't didn't the Lakers have Thomas Bryant already? We did. We unfortunately had to release Tom and Bryant to clear up some cap space in order to afford LeBron and uh, 80s contract. So that's how we ended up not having Thomas Bryant. Juan Toscano Anderson, I don't want to see him in the rotation. Five, ten minutes a game max for this guy. You know, he's a solid defender, understands how to play the game. But I think we have too many young guys now who we should be playing instead. Damian Jones could develop. You know, he has contributed a bit before. I think he'll be all right. I don't really see him contributing too much this season. And Max Christie is someone – it's kind of mad with me you know I really I really want us to get that point guard I've been talking about it for years I thought Kennedy Chandler was the guy that I wanted us to draft um the Spurs ended up getting him he got traded to the Grizzlies I think that was a great move by the Grizzlies to back up jaw but Max Christie has been struggling in the summer league he was the guy who was going to be a lottery pick but his play at Michigan State wasn't that good so he fell to the second round and he's struggling in summer league now he's has a, he has the stroke you know if you look at it it looks very good. He has shown some flashes, but I'm not sure if he's going to be able to immediately, if he's going to be one of those rookies that can immediately help us out. And I hope we can get Scottie Pippen Jr. and Mac McClung onto the roster as well, especially if Max Christie is kind of continuing to struggle. So I think that these moves by the Lakers can kind of just solidify some post-LeBron era that can kind of we can surround AD with. Or if we trade all these guys for Kyrie Irving, you know, we're back into championship contention right away. So it's just good moves all around. You can't really say any of these are bad moves, in my opinion, but it's just going to be curious to see what happens with them. Yeah, kind of switching gears uh, from the Lakers, one of Dylan's favorite teams, over to one of Dylan's favorite players in the NFL, Baker Mayfield, recently being traded from the Cleveland Browns for a conditional fifth pick. What are you guys' thoughts on this? Okay, so <clears throat> I've been known to rag on Baker time to time throughout these podcasts. Absolutely. I even said he's going to be out of the league in two years, two years ago. So I was a little off, but I mean, he was, he is off the team that he was originally on. So I'll give myself half credit for that. But uh, my focus right now is going to be on how incompetent the Panthers organization has been these past few years. Mm. Uh, another thing I said on this podcast, uh, week one of the 2020 NFL season, uh, recapping the games. I said, this team's not going anywhere with Teddy Bridgewater. And I don't know what the solution is, but trust me, it's not him. And they sort of trust me. By the end of the year, they got rid of him. They identified the problem. But what they did was they traded multiple picks, including a second rounder for Sam Darnold. I was a Darnold guy when he came out of college, but it was so obvious at that time that they traded for him that he just did not have what it takes um, after his first three years in the league. People were blaming Adam Gase, and that was kind of valid. But at the same time, you could just see his decision-making was not there. Uh, he still had a little bit of talent. He had some accuracy. But you just you know when someone doesn't have it, especially after three years. So when they understood Teddy Bridgewater was not a solution, they instead traded for someone who's just as bad, if not worse, which was – that was their first awful move. But then in the middle of the season when that guy got hurt, Sam Darnold was hurt, they signed a washed, and I mean washed Cam Newton, back to the roster in the middle of the year. And that was even more of a disaster. And now they trade for Baker Mayfield, who the Browns clearly saw no positive future with. 
uh, as they traded a huge package for Deshaun Watson. They just didn't think they could win with Baker Mayfield, uh, which was valid. So since the Panthers originally cut Cam Newton the first time, they've just been playing quarterback roulette with quarterbacks that are quite frankly uh, just as bad as Cam Newton, and they're just not getting the job done. So before this trade, I saw them as like a 5-12, and 6-11 and 11 type team. You know, they just don't really have the talent on the roster. They don't have a great coaching staff. And now maybe they're bumped up to a 6-11, and 7-10 type team because I do think Baker Mayfield is better than Sam Darnold, even though they're not um, giving uh, Baker Mayfield the job right away. They're going to make him battle for it. But I just don't think they've gotten better from this move. I don't think they've gotten be- better these past few years. And this might have been an indirect shot at Baker, but honestly, I'm not trying to rag on him. I'm just trying to emphasize how the Panthers have been stuck in the same cycle these past few years. And I think they need at least to fire the whole coaching staff soon, maybe even the whole management because they're not going anywhere. And it's so obvious they're just trying to save their job by trading for these QBs who they think they might get immediate success from, but it just keeps backfiring. So yeah, Matt Rule needs to go. And I, that was kind of an unexpected rant because you wouldn't really expect me to care about the Panthers as much, but it's just so painful to see a team stay in this loopless cycle mm. where they're not going to keep, they're not going to get better. Well, what, <laughs> what a description from Jed. I'll try to follow that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I mean, just kind of summing up the details of the trade. I mean, a conditional fifth and the Browns still paying a huge chunk of Baker Mayfield's salary is just kind of funny to me. Um, I think that as far as, I mean, Jed said it perfectly. The Panthers really didn't gain a whole lot from this move. Uh, I think that Baker is definitely a better option than Sam Darnold, but I just don't see him succeeding on the Panthers. Uh, I think he definitely gets better receiving weapons for sure. You got Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, um, who are better than his receivers that he had on the Browns, in my opinion. Um, But I just feel like the O-line is very lackluster in comparison to Cleveland, who kind of gives him a lot of time in the pocket. And, and just Baker as a player, I mean, I just don't see him having a very high ceiling. He's been playing with an injury uh, last season, but injury or not, his decision-making has been pretty terrible, and his, his results are kind of just questionable. I, I, I mean, I just doubt his decision-making, his star ability, uh, his, his ability to be a star in the league. I, I don't think that the Panthers is really going to be Baker's like permanent home or anything. It's going to be the place to skyrocket him to the top um, – of NFL stardom. Um, personally, I feel like this is the beginning. I mean, I feel like last year was the beginning of the end for Baker Mayfield, um, his last year with the Browns. So I, I just feel like it's all downhill downhill from here. But I'm sure Dylan has some some uh, words for me. I, before I get started, once again, Baker Mayfield and what's going on with him has been completely and utterly misinterpreted by the peers of mine, by the media. So let me tell you guys exactly what this type of move is. This is what I like to call a temporary setback for a major comeback. The Panthers is not Baker Mayfield's long-term home. He's going to be there for one year. He's going to put out some very solid tape. He's going to hit free agency and find the team that he is meant to be on. So everybody's like, oh, Baker's so bad. They only got a fifth rounder. This is very common in sports if you pay attention. When a team... When teams know that a team wants to get rid of a player so bad, they're not able to get what that player's true value is. This is what happens when you trade quarterbacks, when you trade star players in the NBA. You never get that equal value back because you know that they're just going to leave in free agency and you're going to get nothing in return if you hold on to them. So now let's analyze his situation here in Carolina. He's going to battle with Sam Darnold, you know, 
I think that there's some politics at play here because as Jad outlined, the Panthers management is probably one of the worst in the entire league. The owner is ready to pull the plug at any second. Basically he probably wakes up every day, 50, 50 contemplates if he's going to fire the whole roster or not. And the Panthers are much more heavily invested into panning out with Sam Darnold because of the many picks that they've made, because he was kind of that first young quarterback that they got after playing their quarterback relay, as Jad described. So they don't really want to see Baker Mayfield succeed, but that's something that me and Baker Mayfield are used to seeing. So we're going to go in there. We're going to battle with Sam Darnold. I think he's going to get some solid games. I think he could get at least five games. If he gets five games in there, I think he could put up solid tape. And let me tell you why. You know, lots of people hate on CMC now. It's kind of a trend to hate on CMC after his one elite season saying he can't get injured or he can't stay healthy. But if he stays healthy, I still truly believe that he's the best running back in the league. So he gets a running back upgrade at CMC, a pass catching running back who I like because, you know, Baker hasn't shown off the deep ball quite as much as, you know, as would like to see. So CMC check downs is going to be very nice with him. And he gets that wide receiver upgrade. DJ Moore is someone who can definitely if not is already become a WR1 caliber player. Obviously, he did not have even a WR2 caliber player in Cleveland, so he gets that upgrade. Robbie Anderson is a WR2 caliber player, but he is not a big fan of Baker Mayfield, so I don't want to see him on the field at the same time with Baker Mayfield. He's just going to bring down the chemistry. It's just going to turn into another Odell Beckham situation if they end up having to play together, to be honest. But I just hope that he gets some tape out there of him not being injured. I hope he took care of his body this offseason and got his shoulder right because, you know, he's a small guy. He needs that torque when he throws. So that shoulder really messed him up last season, I believe. I think he gets that fresh start in Carolina. And then, you know, a team maybe like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is going to be like, dude, that Baker Mayfield guy, you know, maybe Tom Brady, what do you think about him? You could coach him up for a season, maybe let him in two or three years. I I think he's going to hit that free market. And he's going to become a force to be reckoned with. He's going to be one of the steals of a century for an NFL team. I mean, (laughs) this is a potential franchise quarterback. This is a guy who took an 0-16 team to seven wins his next season to getting a playoff win against their arch rival on the road. There's just so much potential there. You know, Jad said three three years, you could tell what a guy's going to be. I mean, I, I think I think deep down, you guys know Baker Mayfield can be dangerous. You guys are a little bit scared of the situation. I think right. I think the Panthers, you know, it's not his true home. I've said that earlier. It's not his true home. But the Panthers is going to allow him to find his true home. So I'm just excited for the future. Obviously, I would have liked to see him stay on the Browns. Um, I, yeah, that, if I wanted to, because we don't know what's going to happen with Watson. I would have preferred to see him stay on the Browns, but obviously the Browns, kind of burned that bridge down so oh well um here we go baker mayfield will be ready for this upcoming nfl season pretty detailed Dylan. that's facts uh it's not gonna happen but (laughs) he could keep dreaming in fact uh, another guy you like drew lock i've actually started to like him a little bit more i think he has a brighter future than baker mayfield i don't know if it's cool to say but uh i think he's got a better chance i think drew lock I think after this year, Baker Mayfield is just going to become a career backup. Uh, maybe he he's going to try and go under a veteran. Man, I'm just trying to stick to my word two years ago saying he's going to be out of the league. I think he yeah, will eventually two years ago, just – you also called him fat on the podcast. I think that one stayed true. I definitely think he's still a little bit overweight for a quarterback. But anyways, moving on. Uh, rumor has it this is everyone's favorite segment. It's definitely my favorite segment. 
it's love hate. So uh, yeah. how are we feeling, guys? Are we feeling positive? Feeling negative? What do you guys got for me? I'm feeling pretty positive today. Um, my love for today is going to be a TV show. There's been a lot of hype about it recently. Um, I didn't want to really buy into it, but I finally hopped on the hype train. It's been a pretty fun ride so far, and that's going to be Amazon Prime's new series, The Boys. Uh, I mean, I heard a lot of lot of hype about this, about how it's super violent, super gory, and uh, those claims are definitely true. There's a there's a lot of questionable content on there, but just as far as being a super entertaining series that blew my expectations away, um, it has absolutely done that. Um, I watched a lot of TV series this last year, and The Boys is definitely up there with one of the better series that I've watched. It's definitely not like in my top five or anything like that. Um, but as like a new show on TV, we saw, see things like Stranger Things and stuff like that, where it's not really that good. It's kind of overhyped um, um, in the mainstream. But The Boys is something that while it's mainstream, it's super, super good. And it's definitely a recommended watch for anyone listening out there. Yeah, so I also got a love, and uh, my love is actually going to be Disneyland. So I recently went to Disneyland, stayed there for a few days, spent 12-plus hours up at 6.30 in the morning to get there before the lines were there. And even sometimes, again, it didn't work out. The lines were still there. But I was there for quite a long time, rode every single ride at Disneyland and California Adventure at least once. Some we did twice. And it's honestly, I was very impressed. I was kind of thinking, you know, maybe they haven't quite um, continued that upgrading, that renovation when they had to shut down the parks during the pandemic. So I was a bit skeptical, but it was it was incredibly magical. I mean, Walt Disney, you know, his imagination, his vision came true for the park. Um, California Adventure also had some nice new rides. They had an incredible themed roller coaster, which they had replaced with some uh, like the old roller coaster that was there. That was very good. So I just want to give some props over to that Disney Disneyland California Adventure Hotel Management. If you're thinking about going to Disneyland, go to Disneyland. You're not going to regret it. It's a very, very fun place. Uh, it wouldn't be a Triad Talks episode if we all went with the love. So I'm going to be negative. I'll go with the hate. Uh, and it's that I hate my mom had my room painted without my consent. <laughs> so, uh, you know, one day I'm laying down. My mom comes in. She says, I'm going to paint your room. I'm like, what? She goes, I'm going to paint your room. Uh, I was like, you or someone else? Like, no, of course, someone else. So that night, 2 a.m., I'm playing 2K with my boys. I get a text from my dad saying the painters are coming at 8 tomorrow. Move everything. And I'm like, you better be talking about 8 p.m. It's like, no, 8 a.m. So I set my alarm, 7.55, doorbell rings. I have to wake up while I'm half asleep, move everything out of my room, move all my clothes, for my room to get painted and it's not, it's my room. I didn't get any, like any consideration for this, not the color, not the fact that it was getting painted in the first place. It was just corruption completely out of my control. So yeah, that's my hate. I mean, I haven't been able to sleep in my room past couple of days. I finally got it back, but my dad doesn't want me to put up any of my old posters or jerseys for a while to let the paint, you know, kind of soak in. So that's my hate for today. Kind of controlling, but you know, it is what it is. It's a pretty and nice color to be Jazz is going through a tough time. The walls <laughs> really, look beautiful. Really you guys won't be able to see it, but it looks beautiful in his Zoom meeting. Um, you know, we've got some big announcements over here at Triad Talk. So we've recently, we're, we've made a blog. The link for mm -hmm. our blog is in our Instagram bio. We're going to be publishing some articles. Jazz hinted at a possible um, AFC West preview article. You know, we'll right. see what happens with that. Um, there's a lot of nice, exciting stuff. Follow us on Instagram. 
And, you know, big things are coming. We're going to be more consistent with the podcast, at least for this um, remaining summer vacation. We might get some episodes in during the college as well. And, you know, just stay tuned. Keep keep subscribing. Keep following. And uh, we'll just keep making that content. See you guys. See you.